This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. It is a Wednesday morning, I believe the, the hip and trendy types call it Hump Day. Uh, and that means we turn our attention to RNZ regional reporter, uh, the thoroughly ensconced now, Jimmy Ellingham. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Fraser. Um, last time we spoke, and which was the first time we spoke in your role uh, as uh, regional reporter, uh, still sort of finding your way, didn't have that sort of uh, catalogue of stories to draw on, uh, perhaps uh, relying a bit on your previous employment to fill that gap. But this time we can focus very much on what uh, is making headlines uh, at RNZ in the Manawatu region. Um, I say Manawatu region, Manawatu district. What, what is, do you have a sort of defined boundary? Do you go, oh, I can't go to that town because that's someone else's patch? Not so much you can't go there, but the patch I'd cover is very similar to what the Manawatu standard uh, would cover. So similar to what I previously yep. covered, sort of would go down to about Ōtaki, include Horofanua, mm-hmm. Tararua, Rangatike, uh, perhaps Wanganui. I'm not quite sure exactly where the boundary is there, yep. but yep. Uh, and yeah, Southern Hawke's Bay uh, sort of region. So I mean, it's quite large, um, but, but perhaps in reality, mostly centred on Palmerston North, sort mm-hmm. of fielding. Mm-hmm. I think is where the majority of the stories will be live in. Yep. As well, very good. Um, so yes, let's have a look. I actually want to start a little bit out of order from the the, the list that we drew up beforehand because we uh, have repeatedly over the, the the months wanted to talk about Lake Alice, and it's always sort of ended up at the bottom of the list, and we never really had time uh, to to focus on it. But um, I want to say it, it's 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 distressing and and there, there's a lot to unpack from this, but sadly it seems like just another instance of institutional abuse uh, in New Zealand and, and in the world. It just this stuff seems to be cropping up all over the place. And now here we go, Lake Alice and Martin, uh, another uh, incident. It does, doesn't it? Lake Alice closed a couple of decades ago, so it's long closed. But there was a royal commission earlier this year into the child and adolescent unit there, which was only open in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So the Lake Adder story is wider than that. There's adults that went there. It, it was open for several decades. Mm-hmm. But the Royal Commission concentrated on, I think it was 1971 to 78, this unit ran. And it heard terrible tales of abuse, torture, really, uh, patients, some of whom were sent there, some because they were perhaps poorly behaved, mm-hmm. some because they had no family structure. Others were sent there. I t- talked to a man yesterday who was sent there solely because he suffered from depression right. and he got sent to a psychiatric institution, which is perhaps understandable. But then what happened to him yep. there, uh, given drugs that would paralyze him, given drugs that would just knock him out or uh, make him fuzzy all the time, potential sexual abuse. But I think perhaps the worst one is the electro uh, convulsive therapy, I think it's called, which is yes. ECT or electric shocks. And that was given to them sometimes with anaesthetic, sometimes without. And these were teenagers there. 
as young as 10, 11 in some cases. I think there was a nine-year-old that came up at the Royal Commission, someone as young as nine there. I don't know if they received that uh, mm. electric shock therapy or not. And, of course, a lot of it was done at the hands of staff who were led by a psychiatrist called Dr. Selwyn Leakes, who it sounds like from the evidence given at the commission, many uh, survivors of Lake Addis sort of described him as the, as the main one mm-hmm. to hand out the, as I described before, the torture. They were police The alleged bastard. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's even alleged, but I feel like we've almost got mm. beyond alleged to an acceptance that yeah. these sort of things happen. There were police investigations into him in the late 70s and again in the early 2000s, and no charges were laid. He actually left New Zealand about 40-odd years ago, went to Australia, uh, where he practised for some decades. And then the, the tribunal over there finally was going to bring a case against him for some practices, and that's when he retired. So he's never faced any form of actual justice. He's now aged in his 90s, his lawyer at the Commission Cities in Poor Health, mm-hmm. There's a current police investigation, which is uh, which began a couple of years ago now. Police have apologised for some of the failings of their past investigations because, for example, things just weren't followed up on or only one or two people would be interviewed, not mm-hmm. when we have dozens of people that have gone through there seemingly willingly uh, willing to provide testimony there. So the current police investigation was supposed to well, the survivors were supposed to be told in July the outcome of this, but come November we still haven't had a result. Mm-hmm. Some of that may have been perhaps as the evidence that came up at the Royal Commission. Police have to look into that. Although you might say if a thorough investigation had been done, maybe they would have known about that anyway. But, but of course, assuming people come out of the woodwork for Royal Commission, so that's probably a bit unfair. COVID delays have been yeah. uh, cited that, um, the, the I mean, yeah, the the... the Perpetrators uh, aside, and, and, and focusing more on the victims, uh, were there were there a, a swathe of willing people to to contribute to this commission, or did some people have to be encouraged to revisit this past that maybe some have tried to lock away? I'm sure that would be the case for some. For example, when when people came out and spoke, they could have a choice. Their evidence could be broadcast on the internet, mm-hmm. or of course, for people in the in the uh, tribunal itself. I was covering it at the Manawatu Standards at this time from, from, from the Manawatu Standard, mm-hmm. watching it on the internet. So it was really up to the survivors themselves. Some wanted their names suppressed. Yep. Some didn't want anyone to hear their evidence at all. But others came out and said, some of them for the first time, saying, no, I want to share my story because I want people to know what happened to me at, uh, at Lake mm-hmm. Alice. And, and some of them that I've spoken to or that gave evidence since then, Sometimes the lives after Lake Ellis were hard. I mean, some of them suffer medical after effects now. Others sort of, and it wouldn't just be Lake Ellis, they went through the state school system and then had a had a, a career as criminals, basically, mm-hmm. because that's what it said about those state uh, systems back in the 70s and 80s, that they were a breeding ground or a training ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for criminals, I mean, so, uh, the, 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 I mean, the, the criminal side is one part of it. Obviously, the the, the mental uh, load of that, in some cases, some cases, the the physical uh, impact of of what they've experienced. Did, did in in the the people you've spoken to and the interactions you've had, have people managed to cope? Have some people come out of this going, "I had a terrible experience, but I've managed to partition that"? Or does everyone carry that baggage and? Does it affect their day-to-day life? Yeah, the short answer is yes, mm-hmm. I think. Some people obviously cope better than others. Some people perhaps mask it, but but it's definitely there yeah. um, for them. As I said, sometimes it's 
it's still I spoke to a man yesterday, Malcolm Richards. He's, he has memory loss, for example, which he attributes mm-hmm. to this electric shock therapy uh, that he received at Lake Ellis and later. So, I mean, that, that's an after effect. And he says, for example, and he spoke at the Royal Commission about this, he, he at one point was working as a, a truck driver, but he would be going out on a job, then forget where he's supposed to go. Mm. But he was embarrassed. He didn't want to say to people that he'd forgotten that. So he'd go back and say, oh, I'm crook. I, I can't do the rest of my shift. That sort of thing. So, and, and people have spent a life, sort of cover, uh, their lifetimes covering it up in a way yeah. uh, for many of them, and it's only now that they want to speak out. Although some of them started speaking out in the late 90s. Yeah. And I think there was a team. Well, some in the 70s by the same time. Oh, and in the 70s, yeah. yes, but um, perhaps talking publicly. Some of them went yeah. to the police in the 70s and 80s, that sort of thing. But in the late 90s, there was uh, a TV show, for example, which I think was one of the first. It was the old 2020 mm-hmm. program, which I think was one of the first to to feature survivors speaking about what happened to them and so, so some of them for, for 20 odd years have been sort of, sort of saying we want to see some form of justice or compensation they ha- there was some compensation given to a group in the early 2000s but actually of course it's not compensation because that would involve admitting wrongdoing it was a ex gratia payment yeah. of which many of them lost about half of it to legal fees anyway uh, Did they? I mean, obviously, they're seeking justice, uh, and and I mean, you've you've briefly mentioned compensation. It strikes me that that's not the driving force no. for a lot of the people here. It's no. about justice. But has this process been in any way cathartic for them as well to to discuss openly what happened? The ones that I've spoken to say yes, mm-hmm. and that's probably why they've chosen to speak to me or, or other reporters. But no doubt, no doubt, there's others for whom perhaps it hasn't been. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, that would depend on the individual. But, yeah, the ones I've spoken to actually say, in fact, one I spoke to yesterday, Rangi Wycliffe, who uh, lives on the on the Fanua coast, said that talking about it for him is part of his, uh, perhaps not healing, but his way mm. of dealing with Recovery. it. Recovery. Recovery, yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. And it doesn't mean necessarily talking publicly, just talking to people yep. about it, how he's how he's feeling. Well, it's not. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, it was a terrible thing. People should know, and people should be brought to justice. Uh, so, where are we now in this whole process? You say obviously there's delays and everything else. Yeah. So the Royal Commission is due to report back. I think it's the year after next, but it's covering not just Lake Ellis. No. It's, it's into abuse and state care. Mm-hmm. So we, we've seen, say, Kohutiri Boys Home in Levin, plus some of the Catholic uh, institutions that were around. At that time. So mm. that's a little way off potentially. The police investigation, we don't know mm. at the moment. Um, as I said, police referred me to a statement yesterday that issued in August that said we've had COVID delays. So it could be perhaps a few months off. Charging Dr. Leakes perhaps is fraught given his, his age and mm. uh, health state. But of course, there is a process through the courts through which you can charge someone, then the courts decide if someone is fit to stand yeah. trial or not. But and, and he's, to be clear, he's facing charges both in Australia and potentially here? Well, he's not facing charges in Australia. Right. And we don't know if he's been charged here. That's what the current investigation right. okay. will, uh, will uh, disclose. But he allegedly has done awful things in Australia as well. Yes, yes. There's been yeah. some concerns over there uh, too. And of course, other staff members could face charges potentially from Lake Ellis too. Mm-hmm. That remains to be determined. You would think that the per- you'd almost think it'd be unfair, given from what the evidence we've heard from survivors, if Doctor Leakes weren't charged, but others were. Given it seems that he was the I mean he was the lead mm-hmm. psychiatrist there. I think. I mean, staff members as far back as the seventies, we heard from the Royal Commission staff members who tried to sort of raise concerns then, and they were they were really ignored or. Yeah. 
brushed aside. So it's not like people haven't, for almost 50 years, uh, sort of raised an eyebrow. It kind of makes it worse, really, doesn't it, to know that people have been complaining and then people did know and just Mm. someone somewhere chose not to do something about it, whether it was a police uh, officer or someone chose not to do it properly. Mm, Just briefly before we move on to Fraser, in the early 2000s there was a report done when that ex gratia payment was made by, uh, I think, a, a judge or a retired judge, who he, he went a bit beyond his brief and actually made some recommendations about perhaps that the police should be investigating, mm-hmm. given what I've heard from the survivors. And that report, uh, media organisations, and I think it was either the Evening Post or Dominion newspaper in Wellington, I think it was Evening Post, had to go to court to try and make that public. Yep. So even not that long ago, there was no desire... By some, by some in government or officials somewhere to to keep these things, uh, or to put these things into public, there was a desire, mm-hmm. in fact, just to perhaps brush it aside. Oh God! Um, you can uh, read more about this uh, on rnz.co.nz. Uh, you can search for Lake Alice or indeed Jimmy Ellingham, and you'll get a list of uh, all of Jimmy's stories there. Um, and uh, you're racking up a few, actually. Um, but we it, are... it'll make this program easier than the last one <laughs> we did. <laughs> we are here with Jimmy Ellingham, uh, RNZ regional reporter, looking at what he has been reporting on in the past couple of weeks, talking there about the uh, Lake Alice uh, component of the national in- inquiry. Commission, Royal Commission. Yeah, into abuse and stake here. Let's move on to perhaps slightly lighter things. Let's go completely light. Let's talk scooters. Because uh, <laughs> you and I were both present at this the media launch thing. For yeah, the where the three sc- scooter companies turned yes. up to, to show off that it was Flamingo, uh, Beam and Lime. Yes, uh, they were all there pretending to like each other a great deal <laughs> <laughs> in the spirit of uh, uh, competition. Um, and now we've got 600 scooters around Palmerston North and by and large people seem to be behaving I think mm, I've seen <laughs> I thought they actually funnily enough last night and this morning I saw a couple of reckless things but but that is a, a small percentage of what I've seen around the city mm. I haven't I have to admit I haven't actually seen that many people using them uh, even now I don't know, and it's not to say I've seen no one, but I haven't seen a huge number. Have you, Fraser? Have I'm, you? I'm seeing, well, when I actually managed to get out of the office, of course, but yeah, I'm seeing quite a few. Right. Uh, yeah. Last night after soccer, uh, driving home, and, and you know, the cutoff is meant to be nine o'clock, so these people were using them right up until the, the, the 11th hour. Yes. Um, but they do have um, headlights Lights. on them, yeah. which is uh, neat, because that was a concern. I, I couldn't see, I can't see headlights on them during the day. It must just be a little light that is very, very bright. Mm. Um, but, you know, people were just uh, cruising up the cycle lane on uh, Featherston, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, actually, I saw a few last night, uh, two driving home sort of around 8 o'clock-ish. Um, I have to say, too, and this, I mean, this is not the scooter company's reflection on them. I was, I was driving into the setting sun and these uh, three children on scooters right in front of me. Yes. So, but, of course, that's not the scooters, is it? That's the, that's, no, that's the children. But, uh, goodness me, it was... And you're meant to be over 18 to be using the scooters, apparently, uh, so someone's parents... Could... Very small-looking 18-year-olds, but, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how do we know that sort of thing? But, uh, I mean... It is. It does. It's a bit of colour in a way, doesn't mm. it? To see them all lined up uh, around the yeah, people people do seem to be parking them up appropriately. And I, th- I mean, the the scooter companies I think offer incentives for you to park them in sort of re- registered places and and out of the way. I've seen people park them too and then take a photo. So presumably you have to do that yep. of where they are and to, to say it's still in 
you know, good condition after you've used it. Yeah. They don't seem to be coping with the palmy wind very well, though, when they're no, stationed. No, I right? have seen a few uh, on, on their side. Uh, not, not too many. I thought that might have been more. Perhaps it hasn't been that windy mm. in the last couple of weeks. So I'm assuming that the, sort of the, 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 the things we are focusing on at the moment would suggest that, that no one's made an ACC claim yet or no one's tripped over a scooter or, you know. Well, that we know of. There yeah. <laughs> certainly hasn't been perhaps anything serious that we know of. I mean, that's one thing we can look at. It might make sense to wait a year or a few months to, to, to get a proper sense of that because after two weeks, it's, it's not always fair because there could have been a – you know, a spate of injuries or, yep. or none. It yep. doesn't really tell you a lot, I don't think. We'll, we'll have a look at that uh, in a year or so. But uh, when, I, when I did my story about these scooters a couple of weeks ago, there were some concerns. An RNZ visual journalist and myself, we went out and vox popped, as you mm-hmm. call it, and asked people. Most people were, seemed fine uh, with, with the scooters. Some weren't really that keen, but they weren't. I wouldn't Chris say. Chris obviously, not well, keen. I, 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 I was about to get to Chris, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Chris Tio from Living Streets Aotearoa, which is a, a group really that represents uh, footpath users, mm-hmm. had some safety concerns. I mean, he would like to see scooters allowed in bike lanes, which at the moment they're not. Aren't they? No, they're allowed on the side of the road, but mm-hmm. they've got to keep out of cycle lanes. However, he understands that there's some work being done by transport officials to change that. And that, that would make sense. Why are they not allowed in cycle lanes? I, I have no idea. I'm not really sure. But... Do, so are, so are cycle lanes legislated to just be for bicycles? I wonder if it's because there's a, a motor in these or something, but uh, but then, mm. of course, you, you have electric bikes. Because I longboard in cycle lanes, because I figure that's... Possibly the, highly illegally, but well, no, <laughs> no, I don't know, Fraser. But mm. uh, yeah, Chris understands that there is going to be some work done by transport officials. Of course, he says that to do that, cycle lanes have to be up to scratch. Mm. It would make a bit of sense for them to be in cycle lanes because 15 to 25Ks, 25Ks on a footpath seems quite fast mm-hmm. uh, for both pedestrians and, you know, if you're, if you're backing out of your driveway, you might not uh, see one of these things coming. But I, I think I would break the law and use it on the cycle lane anyway. I think mm. that strikes me as wholly much more safe. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that 25Ks... Look though, at me being a rebel. <laughs> that 25Ks, you'd, you'd think that might be for places such as the... the Footpath near Messi, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's like. 50, it's, they're limited to 15Ks in the city centre anyway, aren't they? Because yes, in the, in the CBD, mm. they are, it's the outer suburbs, you can go up to 25. Mm. Uh, I mean, you think, using common sense, you're not going to do that past a whole lot of uh, when, driveways. When we uh, interviewed uh, Frederick Conker from Beam Scooters mm. um, on the cedar slot of, of the catch-up, um, I kind of put it to him, and, and, and in fairness, he couldn't really comment on infrastructure stuff, but it strikes me now that just roads need an overhaul. From from footpath to, to the middle of the street, it just needs to be dealt with in a different way. So it's not just two lanes for traffic. Yeah, is well, that what you're saying? yeah. well, basically, at the moment, there is uh, solid infrastructure for walking people and driving people. And then you've got the sort of cycle lane, which is kind of for bicycles, but there's still. But now we've got the what was it? What you call it? Micro mobility options mm. um, that aren't just skateboards and longboards, but you've got the electric versions. You've got these scooters, the electric versions. Uh, there's so many different types of transport that we need different levels of infrastructure yes. for yeah. all of them. So maybe it's going to be a narrower footpath, uh, a, a cycle lane, a micro-mobility lane, and then a car lane. Something needs to be done. There's been some talk, too. I've read some stories, uh, perhaps from sort of Wellington Way, where people have said Lofton cycles or scooters and pedestrians all lumped into the same space, which mm-hmm. might not be safe for them sort of 
follows what Chris Teosharil says, might not be safer than me. I, I spoke to uh, Blind Citizens New Zealand President Dr Jonathan Godfrey as well, and he said that for people with disabilities, these scooters might be a bit of a nightmare. But, yeah. Yeah, because you can't necessarily hear them coming or nope. people go too fast. Although I will say that you can't hear shop mobility scooters coming either. And th- th- mm. those things, those have some gravity to them. If you get hit by one of those, which I have been, it hurts. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's, it's, mm, yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Godfrey spoke about how in Wellington and Auckland, he'd sort of had some near misses with uh, people on on scooters. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, my casual observation is when I've been to Auckland, <laughs> I've seen people sort of tear up and down the hilly central city streets on these scooters and think, goodness me, that's a bit fast. But in Wellington, uh, it appeared that everyone behaved a bit better on them. I mean, this is totally mm. anecdotal anyway, yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> from my brief observation of them, there just seemed to be a different uh, culture to do with them in Wellington. And often it was people in Wellington on the waterfront, the flat area. Yeah using them rather than up the hills, whereas in Auckland they, they were going up uh, Queen Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, right. Um, well, they, regardless, they're here until uh, next November yeah, at the Yeah, it's a 12-month trial, and yep. we're possibly going to have the fourth company. Uh, blip, flip. Blip. Blip business. Okay. Flip. One, <laughs> one yeah. of those, anyway. Yeah. Who uh, names <laughs> these things? <laughs> they're possibly going to join sometime in the next few months, so we could have up to 800 Mm. Uh, scooters I don't think we will. Uh, the novelty factor is here at the moment. And as you say, I, we I, we are still seeing more parked up than being mm. used. And, and that's what Christio Sherell said is that the novelty factor fades. Uh, another point made, though, is that students aren't really around at the moment, perhaps when they return in February. Cause, and even True. when they have been around lately, Massey's gone online this year, hasn't it? Yes. So perhaps if they return next year and we get something back to normal Mm. Uh, tertiary study, maybe that would increase the usage. Who, who knows? Well, they have worked to make sure that the Massey sort of precinct, for want of a better term, is included in this sort of uh, allowable area that you can use them in. So, mm. you know, they, they obviously see the student commute being a, a big market. So, What's well, one of the things that makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? If you could cut, cut a lot of time. Christy O'Sherrell actually made one point, uh, which I thought was interesting, is that using scooters could potentially cut back on the number of trips people take on foot as mm. walking. Uh, so maybe, maybe, but he did he did recon- recognise too that scooters, if it's getting people out and about more, there's some benefit there too. And gold card users get discounts on some of them, I hear as well, which terrifies me. You're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I was going with that, but thank you. Um, vaccine figures. Um, we were lamenting uh, a couple of weeks ago that the getting access to mid-central vaccine stats was not as easy as perhaps some areas, such as Taranaki, uh, who were um, very uh, upfront about their poor performance. Uh, but regardless, the stats were there. But things seem to have turned around on that score. Yes. In the past few weeks, the Ministry of Health, for example, every day ups- updates its vaccine website, which is done by DHB region, ethnicity, there's Māori and Pacifica yep. uh, in there too. And we're also seeing Mid-Central now quite regularly, I don't know if it's daily, but pretty close to updating on its social media, yep. a breakdown for, for the doses via district within the Mid-Central. So um, nation, nationwide, we've had 89% of people who had a first dose and 79% of people are fully vaccinated. And the Mid-Central District Health Board region, which is Otaki, not, it goes to Whanganui, which has its own yes. DHB. It's sort of Tararua, I think, uh, Manawatu District, Palmerston North, that sort of that sort of area. It's 88% first, so almost almost at that 90, mm-hmm. and 76% fully vaccinated. The Māori rate is lower at 74% and 
56%. That's about the same as the national average of 75 and mm-hmm. 58. And I did a story a couple of weeks ago about our Māori rates, which were then about 10 percentage points below that lagging, uh, and they were in line with the national average then. But we still need to do something to boost that, yeah. uh, don't we? Um, to quickly break down within the Mid-Central District Health Board, Palmerston North, 93%. Oh, wow, well done, uh, yeah, Palmy. Yeah, Manawatu, 91, Tararua, 85, Horofenua, 87, and Ōtaki, 85. So it's it, Tararua and Ōtaki. It, it does lend itself to that national narrative of it being the more rural places that aren't getting vaccinated, doesn't it? Because you've just mentioned, you know, all the urban centres are up there ready to yep. go, but those more rural districts, they're just they're not coming out as quickly. I mean, they're close, but still there's some hesitancy there. No, and the district health boards, I guess they're, they're doing their best, it seems. I, I spoke to Mid-Central a few weeks ago, and they were doing things such as they, they went to Pongaroa one night, which is in southern Hawke's Bay, northern Wairarapa area, to do a, a nighttime clinic. They've, they've gone to sale yards and things like that. In fact, we've heard that some of the people they vaccinated at the Rongatia sale yards when they went there basically told them, if you hadn't been here, we wouldn't have yeah. got our vaccination. So, I mean, it, And that's the first dose, but are they going to go back for the yeah, second? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you get your little card that says, right, you're due your next one, but it's still up to you to book it. But, but well, the, the health board's still going there, so yeah. perhaps if they see them... On the other hand, perhaps getting one dose is better than getting none, if that's what these people's intentions mm. were, if they had no intention mm. of getting a, a vaccine. And there's a few people like that, as we saw in Wellington Well, yesterday. yes, we've got three minutes left. Let's talk about protests, because you also witnessed a sort of protest light in Whanganui. Yes, I went there a week ago. Uh, Jacinda Ardern was due to visit a temporary, uh, what do they call it, it's a bus, basically, that the Whanganui DHB drives around and parked in a Caltex <laughs> petrol station. And went there expecting perhaps there might have been a dozen or so protesters, but there were potentially up to 200. It was a bit difficult to tell because the crowd numbers were, you know, mm. people were coming and going, but uh, at least 100. And, and they were very, uh, very militant, let's we say. Uh, anti, sorry, they actually said, of course, we're not anti vaccination, we're anti mandated, and we're right. anti the compulsory. So you're not going to take it because you don't want to be told to take it, despite the fact that it will save your life. Yeah, well and, done. And, and some of the people there told me too that they that had other vaccinations, but simply this one they hadn't, they had concerns <laughs> about it. Oh, God. And, and there also there were people there, Three Waters, Jacinda Ardern's a communist, that sort of thing. Yes. And, uh, and I believe that. Oh, you're uh, Tararua District Council. No, no. <laughs> yes, it's a different issue, I think. <laughs> Heard you discuss that with Matt. Yes, uh, yes. Matthew Dallas last week. I believe, too, that a nationalist MP was spotted at the protest. I didn't see her, but I think News Hub uh, might have seen her. So Jacinda Ardern didn't turn up to this vaccination clinic because she sort of said, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Don't really want to take the. the we want to make it easier for people coming in. Despite the protesters too, quite a few people did come, or a trickle of people anyway, mm. came in to get their shots when uh, when we were there for a Did an any so. of the media get attacked? No, no, no one got attacked. A, a couple of people came up and filmed me. I, one. Thought, I thought an RNZ cameraman got, was, was that not at Whanganui? Was that no, down in Wellington? No, it must have been okay. elsewhere, no, because the RNZ uh, visual journalist who I was working with and I, we were left alone. I, I mean, <laughs> I spoke to some of the protesters. They, they weren't unfriendly uh, to me, a couple of them I saw filming. Oh, but the media are the enemy, Jimmy. Yeah, a, a couple of them were filming. I saw one lady <laughs> was making some notes, and I looked up, and one lady was filming me saying that I was um, something about spreading misinformation or something. But uh, she can do what she wants on her own social media feed. Yes. <laughs> I did find it, a couple of things ironic. There was a couple of protesters yelled out to, to reporters or health officials 
to get our masks off, let us see their face. But mm. when we turned the camera towards them, they weren't so keen on their face being seen. <laughs> I think it was down in Wellington. Um, I think Hugh spotted this, but um, someone was holding a placard saying that Ian Lee Galloway it was, uh, <laughs> it lost his vote. I uh, saw that. I'm, I'm, wow. sure, I'm sure Ian is devastated <laughs> yes. about this news. It's just bizarre. Yes. <laughs> Claiming to be so in touch with everything. If in case anyone doesn't know, of course, Ian Lee's Galloway resigned a year ago. Yeah. If not more. Uh, Jimmy Ellingham from RNZ, the regional reporter for Manawatu. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition. Do join us then. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.